So if you want some love, become a missionary. <laughs> That's wonderful. Uh, so this morning, you all got some notes, right? Well, I have to admit, there is an... Oh, yeah, we have to do that. That's right. We have to do... Got to take an offering. <laughs> Believe me. <laughs> um, let's go ahead and pray for our ushers come forward, and uh, we'll pray, take our offering this morning, keep the lights on, the bills paid, and the parking lot clean. <laughs> uh, Heavenly Father, uh, we... God, just a few weeks ago, we talked about why we give to God, and... Uh, because we want to put you first, keep God first in our lives. We want to acknowledge that you're our source, and we want to make sure that your work is, uh, is supplied. And so, Jesus, as we give this morning, I pray uh, for your blessing. God, we test you in this because you've said we could, uh, that uh, you'll take care of us. You'll continue to be our source, and uh, that it'll, all blessing will come. The church will be supplied, and we will be supplied. And so, Father, uh, we ask for this offering now, wisdom and guidance into how to seed into your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. A couple announcements, too, while I'm thinking of it. Uh, there is a women's banquet tomorrow night. A potluck. I'm sorry, potluck. You know, I like potlucks. Uh, they're almost better than banquets, in my opinion, because you get all that, you know, variety. But I cannot come tomorrow because it is a women's banquet, and it's going to be uh, set up in the brand-new kids' auditorium over here. If you've never had a banquet in there, it's a really nice place. Uh, it, it lends itself well to that. And so uh, they're going to be having a banquet over there tomorrow night beginning at 6. So if you are a lady and you've not been able to connect with a lot of other ladies in the church, come on out, and they're going to you know, get you a table, get to know you. Uh, and it's a great place to meet people and, uh, and also just hang out and talk. So uh, I think you'll have a good time. Next thing is our men's group is having our annual backpacking trip up to Mon uh, Walker Lake up near Mono Pass. And so uh, for those of you who want to have an incredible weekend, uh, do a, a very easy hike. Anybody who can't hike this hike, I did it. Look at me. Look at me. I know it. Actually, it's not that easy. <laughs> if it wasn't for my pride and Kirk about 50 steps ahead of me, I don't know if I'd have made it, but <laughs> I was not going to be bested that day. So uh, uh, they're going up Labor Day weekend, uh, leaving uh, that Friday. I believe that's the 30th, and uh, they'll, they'll come back uh, early on Monday. So uh, anyway, if you're a guy, we've got some sign-ups for that, and we would, would, would like to know who's coming, so let us know. So we can get a, a rough estimate of the group. If you know Kirk, obviously give Kirk a jingle and he'll he'll get you on the list too. It's Mount, yeah, Mono Pass. Felt like Mount Everest. Trust me. Um, I will switch switch over to. There we go. Seamless. So, all right. If you pull out your your notes, right? There is an error. On the note, I know. I made a mistake. About the second time in my life. But I mean, I, I, I made a mistake. Rarely happens. Ask my wife. Uh, no, don't ask her. <laughs> yeah, no, no. <laughs> Shh. <laughs> 
If you look, I have two quotes, and they're, they're actually from two of my fo- most fam- favorite individuals uh, from Christian history. One is the Oswald Chambers quote. That's at the second one on the bottom. The one on the top, uh, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Uh, that mistakenly, my part, uh, was written Oswald Chambers, but that was actually by another gentleman, and... Uh, I don't know if his picture is quite apparent to you, but I have got a Hershey's chocolate bar for the first person who can raise their hand and tell me who that is. If you were from the first service, you keep your hand down. All right, we're going to start with Lorenzo. His was the first hand to go up. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Good job, buddy. You did it. <laughs> Ed Graham, no. <laughs> yeah, somebody last service came up and said, I thought it was Pat Robertson. Pat Robertson doesn't have circular glasses. So uh, anyway, question for you. Uh, First, let's pray. Jesus, as we go to the Word now, uh, we pray you would open our hearts uh, to the Word of God. Uh, Help us to be uh, challenged. Uh, Help us to become more like Christ and to continue the conversation with you as we dwell in your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. Question for you. How many of you think that I could build a church from the ground up. How many of you think I could do that? Yeah, some of you could. That's the, I, I'm, you have great faith in me. How many of you think that I could lead a major military campaign against uh, an Al-Qaeda group by myself? How, how many of you think I could do that? Thank you, Dennis. <laughs> you guys do not have a lot of faith in my military commanding skills, I see. All right. How many of you think that I could build a border fence along uh, the U.S. borders? I could oversee and build a fence. You know, Some of you are a little more great. Tom, Tom's thinking he's a little more gracious that I could build a fence. Thank you. How many of you think I could write and record a gospel song. Oh, well, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen to that, you know. <laughs> How many of you think I could play in the NFL? <laughs> Thank you, Jill. Thank you. I have another candy bar, and it's going. Hey, I didn't say I would do well, but I could step out onto the field with pads and a jersey. <laughs> Water boy. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. <laughs> All right, a couple more questions for you. How many of you think that I could win converts to Jesus Christ? A lot of hands go. How many of you think that I could lead a mission trip somewhere? How many of you think that I could pastor the most loving church in Bakersfield? Now you're all, no, you're all saying about yourself. I know how it is. <laughs> Uh, yeah, exactly. You all get candy today. <laughs> How many of you think that I could serve at our summer camps for two weeks and not lose my mind? Put your hands down. I did lose my mind. I'm telling you that right now. <laughs> Let me tell you something. The fact is, in and of myself, I couldn't do any of those things but be for the power of God 
I'd probably be withdrawn, hiding in my own little man cave somewhere, just waiting out my days, trying to figure out life like everybody else. This morning, we're going to switch gears, and over the next couple weeks, we're going to be introduced to a remarkable judge named Gideon. And Gideon is really a study in contrasts, because on the one hand, Gideon with just a few hundred men, defeats an army that numbers in the thousands. But yet on the other hand, Gideon struggles with doubts about God, fears about himself and his safety. And oh boy, does he got questions for God, a lot of them. You know what the beauty of Gideon is? At every step of the way, He was a man who questioned God's plan for his life. And yet, he did God's will. He chose to do it. He's an interesting man. If you've never met him, (laughs) he's coming next week. (laughs) Then you'll want to turn to Judges chapter 6, because that's where we'll see him first. Judges chapter 6. I'll give you... Little bit of, uh, of uh, context here. If you flip through the first, if you've got your Bibles, you can just start reading as I'm talking about this. But start, uh, Judges chapter 6, verse 1. It was a time of intense oppression for Israel. The Midianites, uh, they were people to the east. When the, when the Israelites came in, they really settled west of the Jordan River as they kicked the Canaanites out under Moses and Joshua. And this occurred about 200 to 250 years prior was when all of the book of Exodus, Deuteronomy, book of Joshua, when all of that happened, we're now two centuries after that. And in the two centuries, the Israelites had really uh, given up on God. They'd lost their faith. They began to embrace a lot of these pagan practices, uh, and they, you know, they became immersed in sex, money, and the rock and roll of their days. And so they had really decayed as a society to the point where their economies were faltering, their armies were disorganized, and the Midianite raiders, uh, and of course the, the blessing and covering of God was removed, the Midianite raiders would come in once a year. Why would they come in once a year? Because strawberries don't grow in January. So, you know, they would come once a year when the fruit was ripe, when the cattle was there, when the sheep had a year to get big, and and they would just come and they would take everything. And here's what they would say. Now, whether the Midianites exactly said this, slavery in the ancient time was often justified with a sentence. And you find this in some of the Sumerian cuneiforms, definitely the Roman uh, in, in the Latin vulgar has this phrase. It was a phrase that would go around in the Middle East and in the, in the antiquity world that conquering peoples would say to the people they conquered. You know what the phrase was? It is enough for you just to live. We won't kill you. From here on out, your existence, it is enough for you to be alive. In other words, you know, you're not better off dead. We're allowing you to live. Yes, we're going to take everything you have unless you hide it, unless you hide. But you're still alive. 
is enough for you to live. You ever feel like that? Sometimes the world can cave in around you. I know people who are just strung out on debt. They're like, you know what? I, I feel like I'm just living to pay my debts. I'm just, there's nothing to live for except paying back a debtor. Or people who go through a, a real emotional, relational uh, breakup or heartache, and they feel like, you know what? I feel like I'm just living every day just to be alive, just, just to make it through the day, and I don't even know what I'm living for. Or you've got a boss or somebody over you that is just so oppressive and so mean and, and so not a team builder that, you, you know, you, you go to work and you just, there's, there's no purpose to it. You're just living but you're finding very little meaning in that life. The Israelites had been reduced. They were a nation of millions, and yet through the wars and the raids and losing their worship of God and and losing a lot of their major cities by this time, for those of you who have read a little bit, where were they living? Somebody say it. Caves, not cities. They were living in the clefts of the rocks, and caves, or they would dig out places to live and then put the ground over them and the armies would come above them. They were reduced, disorganized or no army. Their economy was in shambles, no social services, no education, no hope, no future. And here would the Midianites would come and they'd look at those little Israelite boys and say, son, it's enough for you to live. Don't forget that. Beginning in verse 7, God sends a prophet. And the prophet essentially reminds the Israelites of all the awesome things that God has done in the past. Rescuing them out of the slavery to the Egyptians, bringing them through the wilderness, bringing them into the promised land, and then he calls them to repentance. He says, you know, God has done all these great things in the past. He reminds them of God's grace. Let's all repent now, and we will see God do that again. Beginning in verse 11, says this, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Bezerite. When his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press, that may not mean much for many of us because we never thresh wheat in a wine press. We don't even make wine that way anymore. Actually, they do up in Napa Valley. Again, anyway, that's a side story. We don't need to go there. But... uh, But, you know, where, where you step on it with your feet, right? And there's a wine press, and you, you would use this little... Cra- well, Gideon is grinding wheat in the wine press. That's not how you grind wheat. When you grind wheat, you, you, you know, you sickle it, right? You get bunches of it. They would clear a really hard piece of ground, and then they had this thing called a negat, and they would crush it, and then they would throw it up in the air, and all of the chaff of the wheat would blow away, and all of the wheat itself would fall to the ground. They'd sack it up and walk off right out there in the open. They could not do that in the open. Why? Because the Midianite raiders would see it and come and steal the flower. So Gideon is hiding in a wine press, which was most likely enclosed, and he's grinding a little bit of wheat the hardest way possible, the way we would crush grapes. Well, grapes crush pretty easy, right? I mean, even Mike could crush a grape. You know, I've, but I'm going to pay for that later, aren't I? 
But wheat is very hard to crush, actually. It's kind of a real, real tough seed. So he's, eking, he's in hiding because his life has been reduced to withdrawing and hiding so that what little he has doesn't get taken away from him. And so the angel of the Lord in verse 12 appeared to Gideon and he said, the Lord is with you. Now you need to know the translation of that. The translation from the literal Hebrew to English is, the Lord is with you. You may say, wait a minute, what's your point here? Because what is meant by that might not always easily be caught. What is meant when the angel of the Lord would come and say, the Lord is with you, what the angel was really saying, and his power is upon you. God is with you, but even more importantly, his power is upon you. And then this angel says something incredible. He says, Gideon, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. This is a man who had had no military training. He had not fought in any major engagement that we know of. There were no list of battles accredited to his name. He did not own a sword and had never been a warrior. And all of a sudden, God comes up and says, Gideon, the Lord is with you, you mighty warrior. And the literal translation from the Hebrew is the man of valor who charges in the face of the enemy, who leads the charge. He's saying, you're not just a mighty warrior. You're the first one running, charging the enemy in the battlefield when all the other guys are going, look at him. Wow, we better go too. That's, and Gideon's going, huh? And so he says, uh, pardon me, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? Isn't that the question of the ages? God, if you're with us, why is my life such a mess? God, if you're with us, why do babies die young or parents go too soon? Why do my business crumble because somebody falsely accused me of something? Why do I lose my hand in bus accidents? Why, God, if you're truly with us, why did this happen? He says, God did not, where are all the wonders that our ancestors told us about? They told us about you bringing us out of Egypt. They told us about all the wonders. They told us about all the miracles. Man, our parents have been talking about all of this. And yet every year, these Midianites come and they rape us dry. So pardon me. The Lord is with me? What good is that? And, and the Lord turned to him and said, doesn't answer him. Because you see, that's not really the question. It may be our question. It may be the question of the ages. But God's answer does not necessarily entertain the overall big question. He looks at Gideon and he says, go now in the strength that you have. Now, he did not have much. And save Israel out of Midian's hand. 
you're wondering, where are all these miracles? What about Egypt? What about the parting of the Red Sea? What about Joshua and the Canaanites? What about Jericho and the walls falling? What about all this? And God says, what about it, Gideon? Go in the strength that you have, and I will be with you. He, and then he says, God says to Gideon, am I not sending you? And Gideon's going, oh, oh wait a minute, let's not get too excited here. <laughs> I'm not Moses, I'm not Joshua, I'm just, I'm just Gideon, I'm Giddy. He replies, but how can I say, how can I save anybody? How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest of all the Israelite tribes. And I am the least in my family. We, I mean, we got, I got a family. I'm not even the biggest in my family. But the Lord answered and said, I will be with you. And you will strike down the Midianites. Isn't this awesome? God goes up to Gideon. By the way, this is what's called a theophany. It's a big theological term for one of those rare instances where literally the substance of God in this angel of the Lord comes uh, in, in, a, in a human form and has a conversation with a man. So God's right there. He says, Gideon, I know you've been told that it's enough just to live. But Gideon, it's not enough just to live. I didn't create humankind so that they could just exist. You see, Gideon, it's not enough just to live. You have to have something to live for, something beyond yourself. And you, Gideon, you're going to save your people. Why? How? Because I will be with you. And if I'm with you, that's all the qualification you need. So my point this morning is very simple. For us, what are the Midianites for us? Whether it's debt or fear, we can be slaves even though we're free, technically. But whatever those Midianites that come coming, maybe more than once a year, maybe once a week they come coming for you. Maybe once a day they come coming for you. Addictions you've had since high school. Fears you've entertained since you were a small boy or a small girl. Bitterness and unforgiveness that's baking in your heart, metastasizing into an emotional or spiritual cancer you can't even touch or cut out or chemo out. It's not enough just to live. But those things often put us in that pattern. Just living Breathing, our lungs breathing air, our heart beating blood, our bodies aging, and our emotions just looking for the next feel good to get by because we're just living, but we're not living for something beyond ourselves. That is where the Israelites were. The Midianites had convinced them it was enough just to live, and they were crying out to God, but they really didn't believe God could hear them anymore. And so God came with a message. And then he came with a man.
and that man was Gideon. Point number one, God doesn't always call the qualified, but he always qualifies the called. When God says, I will be with you in this, you want to go start an orphanage? I will be with you in this. You want to start a ministry at the church that's going to reach these people? I will be with you in this. You want to minister to the disabled or the deaf or the blind or whatever? I will be. That is all the qualification you need. When God says, I will be with you in this, that's all you need. Hudson Taylor was a missionary to China. And when he showed up, Hudson Taylor was a very big man in every way. And the Chinese people were smaller than him, much smaller. And when they came in, they said, wow, God sent us a strong man. Look, just look at him. And he looked at him and said, I'm not a strong man, but I serve a strong God. And that's who's going to reach China. You know, if you're like me, you often look at your life, as I do at times, seeing the mistakes, the failures, the problems, the attitude, the pride. You see a person who can consistently fail to live up to the high calling that God has on us. Sometimes I look in the mirror and I see a person who loses far more than he wins. A person who from all appearances, both literal for me and symbolic, is always coming up short in some ways. In fact, today, over 90% of American, North American Christian pastors believe they are failing in the call that God has placed them in. No wonder we're losing churches. No wonder 1,500 ministers leave the ministry forever, every month. Because they're convinced like Gideon. They're just living. And they've lost what they're living for. They're living for the God that says, I am with you, mighty warrior. And he doesn't just say that over Gideon. He says that over all of us. In fact, we have the blessing of after Pentecost, of, of being filled with the Holy Spirit, of receiving Christ, of, of, the, of the full orb of this. Gideon's still under the Old Testament. We've we got all the blessings of the New Testament. How much more is God, through Christ, our Emmanuel, saying, I am with you, mighty warriors. Rise up. What can you not do? I've seen people with five theological degrees put me to sleep, and I've met a man who'd never been, a, barely finished high school. Revive my faith that I want to go on the mission field. A four-square missionary named Ted something. He's in Cambodia. Anybody know his last name? Albrecht. Albrecht. He raised hogs in Iowa. Barely had a, 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 a high school education. Went to Cambodia. 40,000 Cambodian Christians are now under his care. But I mean, the point is made. God doesn't always call the qualified, but he qualifies the called. Point number two, God is looking more for availability than for ability. The question on the table is not, can God use me? I know we like to say, you know, there are no stupid questions in the world. That one's a dumb one. That is a stupid question. Can God use me? 
The question is not, can God use me? It's, am I available to be used? How many of you know the person Johnny Erickson Tata? She's, she's a neat lady. As I was researching for this message, I actually spent almost half a day reading her. It's amazing. I had, I, I had always known what Johnny and friends were, and I always knew she ministered to the disabled. I did not know she was a quadriplegic herself. And I'm, when I found that out, I'm utterly amazed because I can name off to you seven books this woman has written. Songs and albums she's recorded. Thousands of, of Christians who are Christian as a result of her ministry. Not because she was able, but because she was available. And God used her in a powerful way. Anybody know Jack Hayford? If you go to a four-square church, which you do, by the way, <laughs> if you go to, <laughs> if you went to a four-square church, you would know his name. Jack Hayford is uh, one of the you know pinnacles of four-square teaching. You know, he started his ministry with a terrible stammer and stutter. Uh, could 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 barely preach. One of those guys, Rick Warren. You know, for the first three years. You know what they called him? Pastor Chubby. He was in Orange County, where nobody's chubby, apparently. <laughs> he was Pastor Chubby and had to overcome uh, a weight complex first three years down there at Saddleback Community Church. You might hear of Matt, Michael Chadwick. Michael Chadwick was like many of you 30 years ago, smoking pot, uh, you know, doing coke. <laughs> listening to Van Halen. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Marvin, not you. You were putting those guys in jail. <laughs> and he, 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 for some odd reason, he, would, he, he stayed with his wife. He would not divorce his wife. Uh, and she stayed with him. 20 years after they got married, he finally goes to church with her and converts to Christianity right then and there. Says, wow, I've, I never heard this. I never knew this. Went forward, gave his heart to the Lord. Quits his job and opens up a boys' home in Virginia with Joe Gibbs, the coach of the Redskins, and Roger Staubach, the quarterback for the. Ooh. <laughs> that was it. Come on. <laughs> What's interesting is I meet so many people and we're waiting for everything to come together. You know, Tom, when I, when, I, when I make some money or when I do this or when I, you know, get to this spot in my career or when I, you know, get to this spot in my biblical education or, you know, a lot of times we're waiting, you know, Tom, I'm going to step out in faith for God at some point in the future when all of these things happen. And I want to submit to you this for some of you. God's asking if you'll be available now. Because 10 from years from now, there may not be a Christian church left for, to minister to. We wait so long, all of a sudden it goes away. The need is now. Can you be available now? Stop waiting and get going. Amen? Number three, God differentiates between our common calling and our specific call. Our common calling as followers of God is obviously to 
read the word, to pray, to draw on God from strength. That's universal. All of us, every day, should be connecting on some spiritual level to turn away from sin and turn toward God. But secondly, our specific calling is a more narrow task. Our common calling we all share, but our specific callings are going to be different. For example, obviously most of you have probably figured out, I have a calling to what? Yeah, that, yes, pastor. But to what specific group? Kids. Is it because I have kids? No. I was ministering to kids long before I ever had kids. There's just something about kid ministry. It just draws me, and I know I'm disobeying God if I'm not doing it. That's why as hard as it was to go to camp, it wasn't that hard. <laughs> the burping and the farting and the, you know, all that was, you know, I'm getting a little old for that. But everything else, I loved it. Who was burping? <laughs> Let me tell you who had the heartburn. <laughs> Number four, God will confirm the specific call he has for you. If you read down more in the story, Gideon goes, all right, God, all right. You said you'll be with me, and you said I'm going to save the people from Midian, but I, I, need, I need to know that you're really who you say you are. I mean... Let's face it, talk is cheap, right? Anybody can come and say stuff. Anybody can. So he says, I'm going to come and bring an offering. So Gideon goes, he gets some meat, and the angel of the Lord says, place it on the rock. And so Gideon places it on the rock. Now, normally you would have to find wood, make a fire, get the fire hot, and, you know, take a, be a three-hour process to really cook this meat. The angel of the Lord extends the staff, and boom, you got pot roast right then and there. <laughs> God confirmed the call. He said, I will be with you. Look at the meat. I will be with you. Look at the meat. You know, it's interesting. Earlier this year, Earlier this week, I was struggling with my own call. My own, I don't know. Maybe there's times where it's just easier just to live, not think about what you're living for, one of those high lofty ideals, to just live. Just go hide somewhere, go withdraw in a cave, go find some job that'll pay me enough to feed me and just withdraw, just get away from it all. I know I'm speaking to some of you right now. And I remember I was praying and I said, God, would you just sit on the other side of my office? I have an office over here, a desk. Would you just come and sit on the other side of my office and just reach your hands out to me and say, Tom, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I was really hurting. I was really struggling. And for a while, it just didn't happen. But I thought, you know, I'm just getting all weird again. Then last week, a man was in my office, and he stretched out his hand to shake my hand, and he said, Pastor Tom, I believe the Lord wants me to tell you it's going to be okay. Dennis, you didn't know what you were doing at the moment. You didn't even realize that I had had that conversation months before. 
just struggling with, God, am I even supposed to be here anymore? And then last Sunday, he reaches over and says, I feel like the Lord's just telling me, Tom, everything's going to be okay. God confirms the call. may not happen that day, but it happens. It may not always happen as dramatically as that. So I want to finish with my last point. God doesn't want us just to live. He gives us something to live for. Worship team, if you'll come on forward. We're going to close here with a song, but I want to also end with one more story. There was a man in the United States who had had a very good job, very well-paying job. But he had always felt that he was called to be a pastor and start a church. And so he decided to quit his high-paying job and start a church. He put out an ad in the newspaper. He had rented a high school auditorium, and he had hired somebody to set up all the chairs. He hired a sound guy, and he put an ad in the paper, and he said, be here this Wednesday at 7 o'clock, and we're going to start a new church, and we're going to preach the gospel. So he shows up at 6.30. He's all fired up. He's all by himself, single guy, you know, and and didn't have the wherewithal to invite any of his friends or anything, but just just thought, you know, everybody was going to come. The people he'd invited, the ad in the newspaper, everything. 6.30, nobody's there. 6.45, nobody's there. 6.50, nobody's there. 6.55, nobody's there. 7 o'clock, Nobody's there. 7.05. Nobody's there. He stood there with his sermon in front of him in the little pulpit he'd made. He said, I guess I missed my call. Guess this isn't what I should be doing. But he looked around and he said, well, I, out of my own money, I paid to rent this place, the chairs, the sound guy. And I wrote this sermon so... I'm going to preach it to nobody. At least I'll say I preached it. So he starts preaching his sermon. In fact, at the end of it, he even does an altar call, although nobody is there. And right after he finishes the altar call, he sees a door open from the side. A man from the cleaning crew in the high school had put his ear up to the door and was listening to the man preach. And he came up. He said, Pastor, he says, I'll be honest with you. I'm not really up here because of the message. I'm up here because whatever you have in you, I wanted me. I'm just living for nothing but myself right now, and you're living for something more. Whatever you got, I want it. The man says, All right, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you to receive Jesus Christ into your heart. And all of a sudden he hears, wait, wait, don't start yet. The sound guy who he had rented to run the sound starts walking up and says, wait, I want to get prayed for too. I want what you got. What does he have? He's got Jesus Christ in his heart. He's got the Holy Spirit within him. No longer just living It's not enough just to live. Deep inside us, we're programmed to live for something more. And that something more is the one true God, Jesus Christ, 
and the Holy Spirit. So when God call, comes calling on you, how will he answer? How will you answer? Stand with me. I'd like to make a very simple invitation for those of you who may have never really received Jesus Christ in your heart. I want you to pray with me this morning. In fact, many of you can pray with me this morning as we celebrate allowing Christ in. Just say something as simple as this. Say, Lord Jesus, I invite you into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. I repent. And I receive your spirit. And make you my God and my salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing a song.